Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Viacom CBS International Studios Distribution Head of Formats, Laura Burrell, about her expectations of this year's virtual MIP TV, plus a number of new deals hot off the press. And Blue Ant International Senior Vice President of Co-Productions and Sales, Ludo Dufour, on how local and global streamers are changing the landscape for programme sales. Viacom CBS International Studios Distribution is a business that was created last year, bringing together the operations of the US cable giant's overseas sales, co-production and formats licensing operations. The company is among those that would normally be attending MIP TV in Cannes, but as with the rest of the global TV industry, is having to settle for another online version this year due to the ongoing fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. Head of Formats Laura Burrell spoke to Karolina Kaminska about her perspective on the virtual event, how the formats market has fared under COVID-19 and exclusively reveals a number of new deals the company has just struck. Laura, MIP TV is taking place this week as a virtual online only event. What are your expectations of the market this year and what impact does the lack of the physical market have on your business? So um, this is the third can-based market in a row that's been forced into being virtual. And, you know, we've all had to adapt and we have, you know, we've got a slate of new content that we're taking out to the market. Um, We'll be holding client meetings as normal uh, over the next couple of weeks, just all virtually. Uh, We've had to adapt how we showcase our new content. So, for example, this time around, we have um, pre-recorded a showcase that was then um, being distributed to all our clients just this week. Um, So, you know, virtual is the new normal, (laughs) as as I'm sure we'll all agree. Um, However, I think it is fair to say that by this point, we are all missing human contact. Um, Personally, I really sort of miss that rush of adrenaline that you get on the first day of MIT, you know, down in Cannes. Um, You know, I miss those extra opportunities that arise to network with clients and peers um, and in-person market. And, you know, I'm sure every executive that's been to MIT will have a story about doing a deal unexpectedly over a Bureau Royale at midnight on the Quasex. (laughs) So, you know, you can't recreate those moments virtually. So I think, you know, we're we're looking forward to returning in person at some point in the future when it's safe. But for now, it's business as usual in the virtual world. And, you know, we are carrying on as normal. And so you've been leading the global sales of Viacom CBS International Studios distributions formats for about four years now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell yep. us about your strategy there, particularly in light of the changing acquisitions market. Yeah, so um, I'll answer that in two parts. Firstly, we're focused on um, maximising sales from our new unified sales structure, which happened uh, last year, you know, as part of the merger with, with CBS anyway. Um, and what it's allowed us to do is to create a fully kind of integrated format catalogue that now covers both unscripted and scripted. And previously, we had a, a separate sales team that was selling our Spanish language content, um, which is mainly in the scripted space. But we're now all one big uh, happy team. And uh, so we've now got a one-stop shop. And I think this just provides much better efficiencies and, and greater flexibility. And it's it's just clearer 
for our clients all round. So, you know, part of the strategy has just been sort of building on, on that new structure. And then secondly, I think, you know, we all know that the arrival of the streamers in the unscripted format space has disrupted the traditional distribution model for formats. And I think this has been in a really good, positive way. Certainly for, for us, we've been able to capitalise on increasing opportunity to licence our formats to local or pan-regional SVOD platforms. Um, so just to kind of give you an example, we've been working with RTL in Germany and we've managed to sell a number of formats um, to them to be produced as originals for their SVOD platform TV Now. Uh, this cooperation started back in 2019 and it started with a format called Finding Prince Charming, which is a gay uh, dating competition format that first aired on our US network logo back in 2016. And when we first pitched this format um, to the market in 2016, we didn't really get much traction. Um, it's not that people didn't like it or buyers didn't like it. It was just that it was considered too niche for mainstream linear broadcasters. And, and there wasn't really anywhere else to go other than those linear broadcasters at that time. So by 2019, with the emergence of uh, these you know, new S4 platforms, suddenly this format was peeling. You know, suddenly it had new opportunities basically to be placed. Um, so we did this first deal for Finding Prince Charming for TV Now. Uh, it launched on the service in 2019 and it created a huge buzz for the service. I mean, RTL they don't release their kind of um, streaming figures for content, but we know it did well because it created a huge amount of press and it went on to win um, a Grimmy Prize Award, which is kind of the equivalent of the German Emmys, uh, which is amazing. Um, and, it, and it did so well that they then decided to give it a linear outing on Vox. And um, that also rated really well. And that's amazing if you consider that on a show like a competition show like this, the outcome or the winner was already known um, and it still managed to pick up a substantial linear audience so that was the start of our partnership and we've added it on since then I think this is a really interesting example of how we're starting to work with SVOD platforms on opportunities for formats that perhaps weren't there for. And we're over a year into the coronavirus crisis now how has the pandemic impacted the distribution of formats? Because from a production standpoint, we've seen formats kind of go two ways, I guess. On the one hand, many entertainment formats have had to be cancelled or postponed during the pandemic. A couple of examples there from other companies would be Love Island and Britain's Got Talent in the UK. Um, but on the other hand, we've seen the development of so-called COVID-friendly formats, which have been mm -hmm. able to film while adhering to COVID safety protocols. So in that sense, formats have fared better during these times than some scripted shows where safe filming has, has been impossible. So bearing that in mind, what has the distribution market for formats been like over the past year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I'm sure I'm not alone when I say if we rewind to a year ago, um, you know, when most countries were sort of in a full lockdown you know I feared that the sort of format sales business was going to fall off a cliff and uh, yeah I, I'm sure I'm not alone in, in, in that fear however I think as 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 you say as countries kind of emerged out of that full lockdown it became clear that there were huge gaps in broadcast schedules that needed to be plugged and you couldn't just do that with repeats and the unscripted um, genre was kind of able to get back up and running more speedily and more readily than scripted was I mean it, 
taking the example of, of entertainment formats, one format we have on our that we're leading with this market is Guessable, uh, which is a um, comedy game show that airs on Comedy Central UK. And last year, that was commissioned just prior to lockdown. So it was always intended to be a studio show with a live audience and all the bells and whistles on. Um, then lockdown happened. So the commissioning editor um, asked Tuesday's child, the producer, to go away and think about how it could be reworked um, so that once, you know, some of the restrictions were lifted, we they were able to get it back into studio. And sure enough, they were able to do that. You know, it, it doesn't have a live audience and the set design had to be adjusted um, so it, it, it to, to allow for, for more spacing between the, the contestants. But actually, it works really, really well. The show is, is it's two celebrity, two teams of celebrities um, taking part in a series of kind of guessing games. I guess we will call them parlor games in the UK um, in order to gain clues to find out what's inside a mystery box. So that show made it on air in the autumn and I'm delighted to say that it's back for a second season um, launching on Comedy Central next week. And, uh, and yeah, that's a great example of a format that was adapted to be able to be filmed, you know, in the in the circumstances, um, but can easily be ramped up. You know, we can easily put a studio audience back in at a time when when we can. Then moving over to the reality space, this was really interesting for us because our a lot of our sales are from our reality slate, um, which includes X on the Beach, Are You the One, and those kind of shows. And we had to work really hard with our format licensees last year to try and make sure that those shows um, we could we could get them on air. And thankfully, because they're pre-recorded, we were able to work the sort of bubble system. So where, where you yeah you had your your crew fly out, quarantine, um, and then you create the, your production bubble within the villa. So it works really nicely for, for villa-based reality. Uh, so we were able to keep a lot of those productions going um, over the summer of 2020. That's not to say it wasn't without a few hitches here and there. Um, we had uh, one local version of Finding Prince Charming for the Netherlands that um, ended up being a slightly shorter run than intended just because a couple of the contestants couldn't uh, take part but you know the show got made and it, it, it was yeah we didn't have anything that didn't get completed um, even though occasionally it was a bumpy ride and another one of our partners on X on the Beach um, at Discovery in the Nordics um, they actually chose um, to shoot locally so last summer was the first time for example that X on the Beach in Sweden was shot in Sweden and um, you know there was obviously some concern they were used to going uh, away to tropical climates and and would it look as good if it was in their own backyard? But actually, again, it looked great, rated really well. So, you know, we, we were able to adapt and sort of ride the ride the storm, I suppose, of 2020. So what sort of trends are you seeing when it comes to demand for formats at the moment? What types of formats are most desired by buyers? I think definitely we're, we're in a place where most broadcasters are looking for fun, escapist, lighthearted content. You know, they, they, want, they want to put a smile on people's faces um, after what's been an incredibly difficult year. Um, and that's not to say there isn't room for some serious pieces.
places, but in, in terms of certainly in terms of entertainment, everyone wants something fun, something that's going to take them away from the, the stresses and strains. And, and I think we've seen particularly that formats that have a sort of play along at home element have done really well. Um, you can see that with the likes of The Mars Singer, um, with the success of, uh, for example, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire back back on air in the UK. That did really well. Everyone was playing along. And as I say, with our own guessable, that's a, a, has a play along element. So we're definitely seeing demand in that space. I think reality still is very much in demand. You know, again, it's a, a, just a fantastic way to, to sort of transport your audience to a different place. So I, I think we're going to continue to see that. I, I think broadcasters and producers do don't want is is anything that's kind of an obviously COVID format. You know, I think we want to aspire to, to get away from that if possible. And you've got some news that you want to announce today regarding some format deals you have made. So tell us about those. Yes, they're really exciting going into MIP. Uh, we've got a raft of new format sales that we're announcing. Um, they're all in the either the reality or the comedy uh, space. So it kind of backs up the, the, the demand, you know, the theory of the demand, if that's what buyers are looking for. Um, so picking up on an earlier point that I was making about the partnership with RTL's TV Now platform, um, I'm delighted to announce a number of renewals and a world first. So on the renewal side, um, X on the Beach will be returning to TV Now for a second season, uh, starting on April 15. Uh, the series was shot in Mexico at the beginning of this year and promises to be just as entertaining and outrageous as you'd expect from this, <laughs> from this format. Um, um, with its hot, sexy singles, expecting romance only to be interrupted by a series of their exes arriving. Secondly, uh, we have a third season of Finding Prince Charming, also confirmed and in production for TV now. Uh, so we're looking forward to see, seeing who the new prince is. And then most exciting of all, and for the first time ever, there's going to be a Princess Charming coming to TV now. So this marks the first spin-off of the format and will feature one princess and a group of single women all competing to win her heart. So it's a world first and we're really delighted to be working with TV Now and the producers Seapoint to bring this to life for the first time. Delighted to see that that franchise really, really working so successfully for that service. And then on the comedy side, uh, we're announcing um, a new deal uh, in Canada. Uh, so we have a format called Roast Battle um, that's been uh, very successful for Comedy Central and for a number of partners around the world. And uh, we have done our first English language speaking deal with Bell Media. Uh, they've commissioned an eight episode series um, in, that will be shot this year, working with Just for Laughs and Counterfeit Productions. And it's basically off the back of the success of the French language version of Roast Battle that currently is in its third season on their French language platform. So uh, we're delighted really to be working with Bell Media on this. It's a, a, a great format. It is brutal, but hilarious. Um, it's a great platform for stand-up comedians and again I, I think it's sort of it's perfect for the for the time when we all just really want to have to laugh <laughs> Um, and then we also have a, a finally a renewal in Uruguay of another Comedy Central format called La Copa DS or Blame It On, um, which is a uh, talk show, a comedy talk show with a twist. And that's returning to Teledolce in Uruguay for a second season. So we're delighted to be able to announce that as well. So, yeah, exciting to be able to bring this content to the market. And we hope to add to those sales over, over MIP TV over the next couple of weeks. 
Laura Burrell from Viacom CBS International Studios Distribution, speaking with Karolina Kaminska. Canada-based Blue Ant International appointed former Viacom and off-defence exec Ludo Dufour as its LA-based Senior Vice President of Co-Productions and Sales two years ago. A familiar face on the MIP-TV circuit, Dufour relocated to California before the COVID-19 pandemic struck and has witnessed from there too the surge in US studio-led streamers as well as a litany of niche and local players. He spoke to Ruth Laws about the impact of these dynamics, the arrival of Discovery Plus and the kind of content buyers are looking for right now and in the year ahead. There have been lots of very uh, interesting developments. Uh, we've, we've really seen an increase in demand for our content from streaming platforms over the last uh, few years. And OTT just in general has experienced a, an exponential growth. When I mention OTT, I'm specifically speaking about SVOD and AVOD services. And we've seen a growth around the world, but the biggest growth has been in the US. Um, we've also seen some interesting growth in China and in Germany and, and all around the world, but just trying to differentiate um, the countries, I guess that the biggest focus has been the US. I think when, when talking about OTT and SVOD, it's also interesting to differentiate the different types of SVOD platforms, both in terms of who is behind those platforms, uh, differentiating SVOD service from legacy media group and then native SVOT services and more tech-driven SVOT services, and also the business models behind them, whether they're just offering mixed business models with a mix of advertising revenue and subscription, or whether whether they're more premium pay offering with exclusively um, subscription models, and and also what's been quite interesting as a development, especially over the last few months during the pandemic, was the, the premium VOD offering which has also provided a home for some of those titles which uh, were supposed to premiere in, uh, in theatres and, um, and could not as a result of the, the lockdown. And, and in the AVOD space, we've also seen some very interesting development over the, the past few months in particular, a lot of them fueled by M&A activity. And there again, it's quite interesting to differentiate the subdivisions within the free space in between really the on-demand services that offer titles on a content on a title per title basis and those fast channels, the free ad supported streaming television channels, which is the area where we've seen the, the biggest amount of, uh, of growth. And what challenges and opportunities do these developments present? I'll just group them together in the AVOD and fast space. We've, we've seen opportunities to really license our library content. And that's been the case over the last five years. But the developments in the, in the last few months with the pandemic also meant that revenue increased significantly. So although I mentioned library content, that content, as the revenue increases from those platforms, the window after which content becomes available for the platforms also decrease, uh, with some even announcing now that they're doing original permissions. So um, so that space is, is really growing at, uh, at an incredible pace. And then with regards to um, subscription um, video on demand services, we tend to sell content to them on a more curated basis, maybe less volume and, and more premium titles, also based on their their budgets, but we mostly see opportunities to produce or co-produce with them. And um, and I think creatively for the, uh, the Blue End Studio side of the uh, of the group, um, we've enjoyed the creative freedom that they offer. The fact that you're not restricted by a slot, that editorially, um, some of them are testing genre blends, that you, you're more free to um, to produce a show, which is the, the, the duration that the creative requires, rather than uh, really trying to make it fit with 
within a, a specific slot. So some some interesting um, opportunities there. And yeah, with regards to uh, to premium video on demand as well, what I um, just touched upon before, the uh, the possibility to also offer content regardless of what's happening in in the rest of the world. And what activity is Blue Ant seeing across different types of platforms? Well, Blue Ant is really a um, a media group with three key verticals. We're both a producer of content with Blue Ant Studios. We're a distributor of content um, with Blue Ant International, the division I'm, I'm a part of. And we're also a channel operator. And, and OTT has really offered opportunities across all three of these, uh, these key verticals. So for distribution, we've seen more opportunities to generate um, revenue from our library content. It's also been really interesting to look at the data that those platforms send back to us as per which titles within a package uh, we would have licensed to them have really uh, piqued the interest of the audiences in what territories and this really then informs our acquisition strategy so it's an interesting conversation we're having with them we've also seen a lot of activities in the uh, in the SDOD space both in terms of licensing uh, several titles to most of the um, the SVOD platforms be it Netflix or HBO Max Sundance Now Tastemade um, we've uh, we've announced a lot of those deals over the last Last few months and have been really happy to work with these platforms. But in the SVOD space, we also see a lot of opportunities to um, work closely with our Blue Ant studios who have produced a large number of titles for SVOD platforms. They've been working with Quibi, they've been producing Amazon Originals. We've just announced a deal earlier this year with Discovery Plus. Um, from um, one of the production companies of our group, NHNZ. Um, and we're also in productions on a lot more projects, um, which will be announced over the, the last few months with the likes of Netflix and Peacock and other ma- major SVODs. The channel operations uh, division of the group as well has uh, has had a lot of activity with, uh, with OTT platform Love Nature, which is our family-friendly natural history wildlife brand, um, which is offered both as a linear and as a streaming channel all over the world has been seeing uh, exponential growth in the US in, in the last year in particular, with more and more deals being struck with various platforms. They've announced launches on Roku, on Zumo, on Samsung TV+, Plus, on Pluto TV, and all this is um, uh, mostly in, in North America. And uh, and also with Yuku in China, uh, we're also interested in the Spanish-speaking world and just announced a deal with uh, Prende TV, which is Univision's Spanish-speaking channel in the US. And also our Canadian media group, who have have replicated or been able to benefit from their expertise in certain spaces to launch fast channels. They announced one in the paranormal space called Haunted and another one recently in the crime space called Crime Time. It's been really interesting to see that regardless of our focus within the company, OTT has offered new new opportunities to, to do business. What type of content are you noticing that OTT platforms want to buy? It will really depend from one platform to another. I I will try to generalize as dangerous as it may be, but, but the content really vastly differs depending on the on the platform. And also all these platforms are in constant evolution. It's been really interesting to see what they launched with and to also to see them figure out their unique niche within the OTT world and to carefully watch what their competitors are doing. And I've only moved to LA just over a year ago now. And I've really realized that being based in LA, which which feels like the intersection of the Silicon Valley in Hollywood um, has been has been really valuable to stay up to date on on their latest editorial needs. But just to to maybe overgeneralize, but Ava platforms and fast channels we see tend to focus more. 
um, on similar needs to that of the, the basic cable networks that focus on niche audiences. So their content tends to be more formatted, more episodic, while SVOD platforms tend to focus on very buzzy, news-generating, premium titles with, with high budgets, with A-list talents, and tend to do so in the limited series and feature-length space, although they're also trying to, uh, to enter the, uh, the space of the, of the basic cable networks. And, and I think understanding not only the demographic that each platform is targeting, but also what, what titles they're currently offering, which ones have been successful, really helps us pitch the right content to the right platform. And how does placing content differ between linear and OTT platforms? I would say it probably it probably differs less and less, but again, generally, we feel that linear networks who've existed for a long time tend to have more established business models, established footprints, fees, terms, which we're very used to. Whereas the OTT world, by nature, being in constant evolution at the moment, their needs continue to change. So it's very important to know who the key players are and, and to work with partners who understand what windowing is possible or not, which level of exclusivity and holdbacks that those platforms require, where they're at with regards to their international rollout, because the footprint of each client is also in constant evolution. And yeah, no, knowing all this, I feel puts, um, puts us in a good position to, uh, to maximize our business with, uh, with various platforms. And in terms of platforms, Discovery Plus is obviously relatively new. Um, do you think it's a game changer? And do you think it will do what it did for Unscripted, what Netflix did for Scripted? I do think it's a game changer. Uh, Discovery as a group have been a, a key partner for us over the years. And it's been, it's been fascinating to first be able to experience the platform and to see all those great titles all gathered in one, in one place. And, um, and it's been also interesting to see the type of content that they've been um, licensing or producing uh, and that they've announced over the last few weeks. We've seen a lot of premium feature-length documentaries a lot of buzzy news generating content from them. And I do think that they will, um, and I mean, the growth already showcases that, that they uh, they will become a key player across both, um, I think across all platforms with, with their specialty being unscripted, of course. And do you think that Discovery Plus could reduce commissions and acquisitions from their linear channels? It is not what we're experiencing right now. I think a lot of, I, I don't want to, uh, I, I, I will generalize again, but platforms that launch with a legacy media group as a, as a backer, then to look at the programming that they're producing or acquiring across the group as a whole. And then depending on the partner, they will have different strategy as per where they will premiere the content, how long it will take to go either from linear to streaming or in general, more, uh, more frequently from streaming to linear. Um, what's been interesting is to also see how editorially this content is is often platforms will also look at content that can live across various channels within the ecosystem as well as on their streaming platform. So it's, it's, it's interesting to keep following that evolution. How do you think the pandemic has affected sales and co-production? As far as sales is concerned, sales were affected in the past year, but it was more the genres of interest which quickly evolved rather than really the, the volume of sales. We had a good year in 2020, but I think a lot of people were really forecasting a record year for this Distributors, but I think that was maybe um, uh, not taking into account the fact that broadcasters also can tap into their large corporate inventories, that they often relicense runs 
that they were also quickly uh, able to continue producing while respecting COVID protocols to keep everybody safe. So, so it was more the genres of interest that, that changed. And we really saw a clear uptick for, I call it practical content, content that would give you tips for, I'm, I'm speaking about the, the food space, the DIY space, the home renovation space. Basically, the, the situation we all found ourselves in was we're locked down at home. We're looking at our four walls. We're in our kitchen. We're looking for inspiration. And I think this is what um, those are the needs that those um, those clients try to cater to. We've also seen a, a clear uptick for very escapist content, be it uh, wildlife or travel, and often genre blends travel and cooking and sports as well. All those live sporting events were cancelled, so the fans were looking at unscripted and docs to really satiate their appetite for, for the games they love. Co-viewing and kids content, the, the idea being, as a, as a parent, I'm experiencing this as well. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that when my daughter's in front of a screen, she is both learning and being entertained at the same time. This kind of helps with the guilt. And we've also seen a clear uptick for royal content. One of my colleagues, I will certainly not uh, take the credit for, for that move, but we, as a, as a distribution company, decided to acquire 20 brand new one-hour specials from ITN Productions uh, about the royal family last year. And this content has done very well. I think the, uh, the Meghan and, uh, and Harry interview certainly helped, but we've seen a significant spike for uh, interest around the royal, the British royal family over the last uh, few months. Um, do you think that type of content will continue to sell well? And are you looking to qu- acquire more content of that genre on your slate? I think it will continue to sell well, specifically for territories in terms of the practical content and the escapist content, specifically for territories which will take longer to come out of the pandemic. We are looking to acquire more as far as natural history is concerned. Absolutely. We really... Thanks to Love Nature, we have the largest 4K natural history offering on the market. And that's really made us a destination for blue chip natural history. And so we're always looking to acquire more. But at the moment, we're also really looking to acquire content for beyond the pandemic. Um, So we're shifting our acquisition strategy to go back to a clear focus on the editorial lines of the various brands we work with. And also the evolution of our catalog, figuring out where the gaps lie, um, which programs might be getting old. Older and therefore, we need a refresher to continue um, catering to the, the needs of our clients. Um, and so we're really some of our key areas of focus uh, include U.S. crime shows. Um, the, the crime space is, is really one of those genres that we can find the most homes for, especially in the U.S. But U.S. crime tends to also travel very well internationally. Uh, in the specialist factual formats, we're looking for ancient history limited series. We're also looking for long running returnable lifestyle formats. The relationship space is one that has really um, popped up recently. Looking for shows in the adventure and exploration space and uh, and natural history, as I, as I mentioned. I think projects with conservation issues at their core, be it climate change, biodiversity, pollution, all these topics are really um, becoming more and more prominent, both in documentaries that 
For example, if I think about natural history, just a few years ago, those topics were hard to cover. The information was often weaved into the narration, whereas now there's an active interest from clients to really focus exclusively on these topics. And, uh, and a lot of the, um, the buzz generating titles that we hear about at the moment tend to focus on these spaces. And a lot of these, since we're talking about the OTT space, um, a lot of the streamers will also be looking at those loud titles, which also have um, an impact in the real world in order to attract subscribers to their platforms uh, and can be maybe a little bit more daring in their approaches. Royal content I, I feel will continue to be of interest in the in the coming months. I mean we've, we've got the Queen's 95th birthday in April. Are there any um, new emerging territories you have in mind when you're acquiring and then selling content? I can't think of real specific regions we're particularly focusing our efforts on. We, we really have a, a global ap- approach to distribution and a strong sales team who really cover all countries around the world. But I'd say our clients are increasingly focused on offering more diversity on screen and behind the camera as well. And so as we're actively also focusing on acquiring and producing content which offers more diversity, I think that we will in turn become more attractive to a more diverse client base. So I'm interested to see how um, how that will uh, affect our business. I think it will positively. Ludo Dufour from Blue Ant International speaking with Ruth Laws. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 